What a blessing it is to worship among the people of God and with his spirit flowing among us. We have been in a series uh, I've called Word On. It's part of uh, a larger picture of the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon. Uh, That day, 2,000 years ago or so, when Jesus sat down and opened his mouth and word made flesh began to utter words upon those gathered uh, that echo all the way to this room. And so we want to hear Jesus' word on a variety of different topics. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is really about kingdom culture. Uh, And we call that subtitle, When Earth Looks Like Heaven. Uh, We're asked uh, to pray uh, a little bit later in the sermon with these words, Your kingdom come. Your will come be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why don't we say that out loud together? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've prayed that maybe a million times or a hundred times for sure. And yet, what does that look like? What, What happens when his kingdom comes and his will is done? And really from the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus was declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. The, the rule of God is available. The rule of God is breaking in. So what does it look like as he changes us from the inside out to be citizens of the kingdom and ambassadors of his truth? Uh, how do we bring the kingdom into the world without the world getting into us? That's what we were looking at all last weekend uh, with Brian Burgess. How can we be in the world and do the ministry of the world, the call into the world, but not have that world dwelling in us to be different. And so kingdom culture is this thing that is manifested when the king is alive in us, transforming the world around us. So Jesus is dealing with 12 topics, and there are really a number of topics, but these 12 are kind of in the center of the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been looking at them, anger and lust, and divorce and oaths, and then uh, today we're going to talk about retaliation. So I want to invite you to hear the word of God, give your whole focus upon the word, and listen with your ears and your minds and your hearts. Uh, These are familiar words, real familiar words. That's kind of the danger of these words, is they're so familiar we might miss what Jesus wants us to hear. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, Let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now let's stand and let's pray. Father God, we need your presence, we need your light, we need you, Holy Spirit, to illumine your word and apply it, to do your work in our hearts and in our lives and in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So we've been learning in these topics that the manifest kingdom of God is not just about not committing murder. (laughs) it's it's a little higher bar than that, wouldn't you say? (laughs) I I mean, if somebody says, how was your day? And you say, well, I I managed not to kill anybody. (laughs) That's a pretty good day. I mean, we want a little bit more than that. It's actually, he he teaches us in the the first topic about not being angry and and about being reconciled to our brothers and sisters. Uh, And it's, it's not just about refraining from adultery, Uh, It's about redirecting our hearts and desires toward God and finding our fullness in him. 
It's not about just writing a proper divorce document. That's actually what they had reduced it to in the time of Jesus. As long as you write a proper divorce document, you can divorce whatever wife you want and find someone else that you like. It's a little bit more than that. Every one of my wives that I've divorced, I I wrote a proper divorce document. Let's, Let's get serious here. Come on. He said it's about a steadfast faithfulness to our vows and a steadfast faithfulness to to the wife or the spouse of our youth, and and adhering to that. The manifest kingdom is not just about managing to our conflicting oaths. You know, at the time of Jesus, they had gotten where, if I manage my oaths correctly, if I say it just right, I don't have to keep it. And there's another one I can keep about something else. And Jesus is saying, this is nonsense in so many words. That, that we, we need to speak the truth in love. Let your yes be yes. Don't, don't, even, don't even take an oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be people of your word, Jesus says. And all of these things were probably a little bit shocking to the people because they sort of change the atmosphere of what's going on in every situation. And that's what we find uh, in our study today. In each of these situations, the kingdom is not about rules. It's not about law. It's about life empowered by grace. That's what the kingdom is. And so Jesus, at this point, for this topic, he quotes a very familiar phrase. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, even if you've never opened a Bible, you probably have heard that. It was very familiar at the time of Jesus, a very familiar saying, and they knew about it. The the words actually come from several different Old Testament passages in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, and they deal with retaliation. Now, it's a little bit weird. I'm using that word as a title, and that word doesn't appear in these verses. In fact, it doesn't appear hardly In the Bible, there's only one place I'll show you a little bit later that refers to it. But this is all about retaliation. Dictionary uh, uh, defines retaliation as an act of harm in response. It's a, a, a retaliatory response to an actual or perceived harm. It's an act of revenge or vengeance. You could really say those three words, retaliation, revenge, and vengeance are all Closely tied together and almost the same, almost interchangeable. And even though that word is not in the text, everybody knew that that's what Jesus was talking about here. Because this phrase was known in in the first century as the law of retaliation. There was a a big name for that. Uh, In Latin, it is lex talionis. And so I'm always a a little bit... um, A little bit scared when I have the premier Latin teacher in Brevard County sitting in front of me. Did I say that right? Okay, good. I got a thumbs up. (laughs) So uh, Adam Mize is over here, and he's Mr. Latin in in Brevard County, let me tell you. Uh, But And it's interesting, if you look at it, Lex Talionis, you might think, is that the brother-in-law of Lex Luthor? No, that's not it at all. Uh, That's not it, right? But Lex means law, and Talionis is where we get... retalionis, retaliation. That's where these words are related. And it it means that this eye for an eye is a fundamental principle about reciprocal justice. It it made uh, the the point that an injury should be repaid to a similar degree. Now, it sounds vindictive to us, and we may hear it that way sometimes. It sounds vengeful. But in Mosaic law, it was intended actually to protect the innocent and make sure retaliation did not go beyond a reasonable measure, uh, far beyond the offense. You see, in the time of Jesus and, and in the Old Testament times, retaliation was often vengeful far beyond the offense. It was not uncommon uh, that someone, if, you, if someone call, caused the death of a member of your family, you might go wipe out their whole family. And that's what this is talking about. Uh, if, if there was an injury to a family, they might go and wipe out a whole village. And so Lex Talionis uh, 
called for a reciprocal response. Only, only an eye for an eye. Someone causes you to lose your eye, well, you would be justified to take their eye, but not more than that. You don't take their life. And only a tooth for a tooth, not, not far beyond that. You don't take out all their teeth or you don't batter their face in, something like that. And later on, rabbinical law uh, began to take this principle and they set monetary compensation for different losses. That exists to this day. Uh, you know, there, there are uh, charts that say, what is the loss of an arm? How do you compensate for that? How, how does a jury weigh that? What, what about the loss of the use of a leg? How, how does a jury weigh that? And, and there, are, there are monetary numbers put onto that sort of thing. And so that continues all the way as a principle and a foundation in modern law. But even in the time of Jesus, that principle could be used to justify a vindictive response. You, you've heard it before. Someone will say, I'm coming after you, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. And they really mean it with vengeance, and they don't see it as a limitation of vengeance. And Jesus knew that, and, and that was common in that day. And simply put, uh, Jesus is saying, this is not the way of the kingdom. This is not the kingdom culture. In fact, we have opportunity as ambassadors of the kingdom to change the climate, to change the atmosphere, to change everything about a situation. The truth is that a vengeful retaliation is at the core of our broken human condition. Think about it. The, the first murder in human history was an act of retaliation. Do you remember the story from Genesis chapter 4? Cain was angry. Because his offering to God was unfavorable, the scripture says. It wasn't received in the same way that his brother's offering was received. Why was that? If we look at the scripture closely, we see that he had not offered his best. Abel had offered his very best, and Cain had not. And then we learn in the book of Hebrews that he had not offered in faith, in trust. He had not offered his very best as an act of faith. He was angry. He should have been angry at himself to say, you know what, I, I really blew it. I made a mistake. I, I should have handled this differently, and I should have made sure that I, I offered my very best and offered it in faith. But instead, he went out to talk to his brother and ended up murdering his brother in retaliation. We see it a lot. Retaliation opens a door of escalation that leads from a small offense to a war. You know, you look through history and you'll say, well, how did that huge war start? And often when you go back, it was some little thing, a small offense, someone was offended. Someone hurt another person, then it escalated and escalated and retaliation after retaliation. We hear it a lot. We hear it on the world stage all the time. If you do that, you will get a retaliation you won't believe. You hear it all the time. If you invade this country, there's going to be a retaliation. We're hearing it right now. It's a part of the brokenness that causes great wars to occur. And the truth is that vengeance is never an acceptable choice for us. If we study the Bible, why, why is that? Let me tell you the simplest answer. It's not an acceptable choice because it belongs to God. It belongs to God. In several places, the Lord says, vengeance is mine. It's mine. I own it. I will repay, says the Lord. And so when we take revenge, we're stealing from God. There's a lot of things you can steal from God, but this is one you don't want to be stealing from God. It's, it's, uh, it's exercising what we've called Godship, where I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to control things. I'm going to, I'm going to do my own justice thing. Romans 12 talks about it. Beloved, Paul writes, never avenge yourselves. Listen, but leave it to the wrath of God. How many of you know that's pretty big and thorough and powerful and you cannot match that? You might be really, really hurt, really, really upset. He says, just leave it to me. I'll take care of it. 
And I'll take care of it in the right way. It may be that they will repent and you will be reconciled in some way. But it also may be that they will get a wrath of God that you could never bring upon them. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, and he says, you can reset things. Listen to this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. That's rather counterintuitive, isn't it? Send some some humanitarian aid of some sort. Send a meal. If somebody's hurt you, somebody's insulted you, send some, I don't know, send some flowers or something. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. When he's down and you could just put him out, give him some drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now they talk a lot about what does that mean. That's not its own act of vengeance, but it, it brings a conviction on their spirit. What is so different about this person? I just insulted them and and they're giving me a a drink. I just insulted them and they're giving me something to eat. They're giving me a blanket. Wow. And Paul was actually quoting from Proverbs 25. It's a powerful, powerful principle. You see, revenge is the lie of the devil. Saying that you will feel better if you can retaliate. If you can, just, if you can just make them miserable, you'll feel better. How many of you know that's never the case? You should say, you should, uh-huh, louder. Yeah. You know, it's just a scary thing when we see it. I was studying some of this and I was sort of shocked at how, how many of our entertainment venues are about retaliation. About revenge, about vengeance, even in their titles. So many movies... The whole plot is to build you up and get you so angry at this bad, 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 bad person that you're okay when they get, you know, obliterated in a horrible, horrible sort of way. We somehow think, ah, that's going to make me feel better. I remember the, the name Matt Williams. In 2006, Deputy Matt Williams was the head of the canine unit uh, over in the west part of Florida. And uh, there was a, a, a big manhunt going on. There was a guy that had fired some shots and he had run. And, and, uh, and as he was with his canine uh, partner, uh, this uh, fugitive uh, got the uptake on him and, and killed him. Fired eight shots. The last shot was right in the face, execution style. And, and killed uh, his canine uh, partner. And so it created a huge manhunt, 500 different law enforcement officers and SWAT teams uh, in that part of the, of the county, in that part of the state. And when they finally found the killer, uh, he was hiding, and he, and he was surrounded by nine SWAT team members, and he made the mistake of raising his hand with a, with a gun, pointing it at one of them. Within just moments... Uh, there were 68 bullets fired into him. I don't know if you remember the case. 110 were shot, and 68 uh, were in in the killer, the murderer. Um, And and when there was an interview going on, and they asked the sheriff, uh, why why so many shots? Is it one or two enough? And, And there's a lot of ways you could answer that. But the sheriff, his answer was, that's all the bullets we had. And that's kind of how I responded, kind of like, yeah, that's all the bullets we had. I've talked to a lot of law enforcement people, law enforcement officers, and they will tell you that's how we're trained. We're, not, we're, we're trained to respond, and in a moment that happened. And so, but it, it, in, in the interview, kind of, we go, yeah. Like, that, that's a kind of retaliation this cop killer, this terrible man. He left a wife and a daughter and two sons. There's a monument at his elementary school that he went to uh, to remind people of his heroism. But no one asked a question, I thought, you know, in the interviews, in the press, no one asked a question of, of the SWAT team. Did you feel better after that? I think I can tell you the answer. No one feels better after that. No one. Retaliation. I don't even know that that was an act of retaliation, but it felt like it to a lot of us that were listening. It doesn't make us better. It doesn't heal anything. 
And Jesus knew that. What Jesus does is so amazing. He calls us in a variety of situations to what I'm going to call a kingdom view. And what I mean by a kingdom view is the kingdom view is an eternal perspective. It's a bigger view of things. If we could just have our eyes lifted to what's really going on here. Sometimes I look back on a situation and I can see what was really going on. But if, if I could have the eyes of Christ, the heart of the Lord to see what is really going on here and what is really most important in this situation, it will help me so much. When someone pulls in front of me in traffic, when someone insults me out somewhere, when someone hurts me in a way that really is painful, to ask this question, well, what's going to last in this situation? What's going to count 10,000 years from now? I sometimes ask that question. I'll start with, what's going to be important 10 years? How about 100 years? How about 1,000 years? How about 10,000 years from now? What's really going to be important? Because the scripture teaches us that the only things that are eternal, the only things that will still be around 10,000 years from now are people and relationships and the word of God. Those are the only things. And so in every situation, I often try to teach this to people working in ministry. The people are always important. Sometimes we get in a, in a struggle or we get into a conflict. The people are the eternal factors, the e- eternal elements in this situation. And we don't want to forget that. For Jesus, people were always most important. How can we work to, to preserve in an eternal way the life of this person? Part of the problem is that we live in a culture that is obsessed with our rights. I know my rights. And uh, a tremendous amount of energy is uh, spent claiming and protecting our rights. And please don't misunderstand me. Uh, We live in a nation built on uh, certain inalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have a bill of what? Rights. And it's so important. Many of you have fought to defend the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. I'm so glad because it's only because of that that I'm standing here in front of you talking. In a lot of nations, not allowed, not permitted. You know, we, we couldn't even get here to gather. We don't want to forget that. Those rights as citizens of our nation are very, very important. And, 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 and we, we want to know that. But those rights are not eternal. They're not. The eternal things are much, much bigger than our rights. You know, I, I, I did a little just quick study on it. As near as I can tell, in, in the kingdom of God, as a kingdom citizen and ambassador, you and I have no rights. Now, as a citizen of the United States, you have rights. The Apostle Paul is such a great example because he was a Roman citizen and he had rights as a Roman citizen. And you just watch him. He's so carefully, he carefully, it's like the card he keeps and every once in a while he goes, oh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. (laughs) And they go, oh, oh, we can't be doing what we were just doing to you. And so those rights are important and they... But he used his rights as a Roman citizen to carry and to lift the gospel everywhere that he went. That's how he used them. It's so, so very important. But in the kingdom, you don't have any rights. Let me tell you what you have. You have righteousness of Christ and you have privileges as a daughter or son, as an heir of Christ. But don't ever go to God and say, you know, I've got a right. I just think it would be a bad move. (laughs) I would not want to be near you (laughs) in that time. And so Jesus is refocusing things. You know, I think about so many situations, you know, where we even uh, on the roadway, I was driving back from Orlando late last night and I, and someone comes up real close behind me and I just get bothered by it. And I'm thinking, I have a right to that pavement behind me. What are you doing there? And then they'll pull around, pull in front of me. And I'm like, I have a right to that pavement in front of me. But how I choose to respond makes a big difference. 
Jesus says, an eye for an eye, or tooth for a tooth, you've, you've heard, but I say to you, I want to hear the word, speak the word. Do not resist the one who is evil. What does that mean? The Greek word is antistemi. It's where we get the word antihistamine, actually. It means to resist, to withstand, to stand against. That's what antihistamines do. This, this cannot be taken to mean do not resist the devil because scripture commands that we do that. James uh, 4 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's, it's a promise. If you will resist the devil, he has to flee. That's almost a right. <laughs> but it, it's, a, it, it's a truth that if you will resist the devil, he will flee from you. And so we, we want to take hold of that. But Jesus is not referring to evil in the abstract. Don't, don't resist evil in the world. And don't resist the profaning of things. Jesus went into the temple and he drove out the animal sellers and the money changers. So, so what is he talking about? He's referring to someone that you're in conflict with who does not have your best in mind. That's the best that I can describe it. Evil means bad. They have bad in mind for you. And the worldly response is to retaliate or get even. The lex talionis says, but not beyond an equal sort of measure. But Jesus is saying, as a kingdom believer, you have more options than that. How many of you have figured out it's good to have more options? Really, really important for us to get a hold of. So Jesus gives us four examples. He talks about insults. He talks about lawsuits. He talks about forced conscription and requests for money. And each one is complicated for a variety of reasons. Uh, and, and we want to be sure not to hear these as a new set of, of rules. This is not a new set of rules. But it is a way for us to see how we can reset the compass in this situation. Uh, and we can raise our view to see the eternal things in these situations. So first of all, when you are insulted, he says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And you probably have hit that in a Bible study or a Sunday school class and thought, what does that mean? What am I supposed to do with that? It could refer to an actual blow. It could be somebody hit you that it might be better to back away. And if necessary, they hit you again and then it, it decelerates, it de-escalates the situation. That's possible. But in the ancient world, in the first century, uh, a backhand to the cheek was an insult. If I wanted to insult you, uh, and we were having an argument, I would, it, lightly, it was just a light tap, a backhand. And, and it was a huge offense. It's, it would be tantamount or, or similar to spitting in someone's face today. Or, or, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but sometimes you're in traffic and, and you, you know, you're just trying to get where you're going and somebody pulls across in front of you and they have hand language that they give you. Um, and, so, and so, you know, these kinds of, of uh, responses. And so uh, he says, if, if somebody offend, insults you in such a way, you have a choice. You have a choice, and you can choose not to retaliate. You can choose not to return the hand language, okay? Uh, Luke chapter 6 says, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And you know, I've noticed that today it's kind of popular to mock that. Uh, because in Southern, it's like, well, bless your heart. is taken as something really, really different. That's not what Jesus was saying here, okay? It's not mocking. But he was saying, bless that person. How can you bless that person? And how can you pray for those who abuse you? The best example of this, this is what, what Jesus wants us to do. The best example is in Jesus himself. As he was journeying to the cross. I mean, just read it. He blessed those who cursed him and he prayed for those who abused him. First Peter chapter 2 describes it this way. When they hurled their insults at him... When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. It's the one place I found in the Bible where that word is there. In what Jesus did not do, 
He reset the atmosphere. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I'm going to entrust myself. You hurt me. You may have hurt me badly. I'm going to entrust that to God. He judges justly and correctly, and if needed, he brings vengeance because that belongs to him. Now, there may be situations where we should literally not strike back. Sometimes it's smarter to just back away from a a fight. There are other times when assault should be resisted with all strength and vigor. I won't go into all those, but you don't have to imagine very much. And how do you know? How do you know if you're fighting for your life or not? How do you know whether you should resist or not resist? And the only way that we can know, this is not a rule for behavior. This is not telling you, well, this is the new rule. We have to walk with the Spirit and discern from Him the correct response. That's what it's going to come back to every time. There's not a new set of rules. We kind of like rules, don't we? Oh, I always know what to do in every situation. It's not really that way. What about self-defense? When Jesus, you know, sometimes we think, well, self-defense, that can't have anything to do. Jesus' people can't be involved in self-defense. Well, let me read you something. When Jesus sent out the disciples, he gave them this instruction. He said, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. You need to bring some money. You're going to be out there in ministry. Uh, and likewise, take a knapsack. You need to bring some, some stuff with you, okay? And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. It'll be more important than your cloak to have a sword. That sounds like concealed carry or something. Really, it does. That's Jesus talking. So Jesus is not making rules that it's always this way and never another way. The Old Testament law protected the right to defend one's life and their family and their property. And so uh, Jesus would not have opposed that. You know, when I think about it, I I think that right now we have several lines of defense right now that are going on. And my first line of defense are the angels that are all around me right now. You say, well, I can't see them, Pastor Jeff. Well, you just don't have spiritual eyes to see. I have people actually sit in a service and tell me afterward, Pastor Jeff, I saw angels around you today. And, and I, you know, it just kind of blows me away a little bit. So, the, and why do I know there are angels here? Because we have prayer teams that pray them in, that ask for protection, that ask for the protection of angels. This property is protected. Isn't that marvelous? Let's say thank you to the angels. Yeah. Now, you might say, well, then why would we have a security team? Well, they help the angels. <laughs> Actually, it's the opposite. The angels help them. But it's important. It's important to be smart about these things. We have eyes that just watch to make sure that everything's okay. Aren't you glad for that? I'm glad for that. But my next primary line of defense is the gospel itself. I've always said if somebody stops me and, you know, is trying to hold me up out in the dark parking lot, I'm, I'm going to share the gospel with them. Or I probably will share. I'll ask Jesus what he wants me to do. Have you heard the stories of people who were taken hostage and the hostage shared Jesus with the hostage taker and led them to Christ? And by the end of the whole thing, they surrendered their life to Christ, the most important thing, and they surrendered to the authorities. And everybody walked out safe. I don't know that that will happen every time. So how do you know what to do? You ask Holy Spirit so that that he will tell you there are times to witness and there are times to be quiet. There are times to be quiet and there are times to fight, I think. The ultimate line of defense is to obey what Holy Spirit tells us to do and not have a rule in advance. We do need to know that there's a difference between self-defense and retaliation. You always have a right to prevent injury to yourself and especially those around you. If somebody comes in and tries to hurt you, I'm going to do everything I can to have them not hurt you, whatever I need to do. And we're responsible for protecting the innocent. Amen? Yeah. In our homes and around us. But we're never called to retaliate. 
to, to get even to exact vengeance or revenge. The second example he gives is, well, when you are sued. This moves it into modern world, doesn't it? If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, the tunic was the basic garment. It was the basic robe. It's what you would see if you're watching uh, The Chosen or something. They're wearing uh, tunics. That's what they're wearing most of the time. But everybody also had a cloak. Cloak was so important because a cloak you could pull over. You can actually close it over you, and it would protect you from wind and rain and cold and dust and sand. It was your protection. And he says, give them your cloak. There was actually a Mosaic law that said the outer cloak was, listen to this, an inalienable possession that could not be taken by lawsuit. I I learned that this week. Aren't you glad your pastor learns things? Yeah. I never knew that. It's like the one thing, you know, that you cannot be taken from you because everybody needs that In, in the cold, in the wind, in the rain, in the dust. You can take everything else, but not the overcoat. So Jesus is saying, if you're being sued for your tunic, also give that, that. I don't think Jesus was saying you should leave the courtroom naked. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is a principle. He was saying, give your adversary more than they are trying to get. Real interesting. And this is not a manipulation tactic. It's not a, it's not a negotiation tactic. Uh, What he's saying is there are more important things than the stuff we're getting sued for. I've seen people do this and it changes everything. Jesus had already instructed the kingdom believers to settle disputes on the way to court. Now this isn't the way our world instructs us. Our world says you got to deal from strength and don't show any weakness and take every advantage and And courts are are where a lot of uh, retaliation and revenge takes place. You've heard it. I'm going to get him. Oh, boy, he's going to pay. He's going to be so broke before before I'm through with him. This is not what the kingdom is about. This is not what Jesus wants us to be about. Think about how it can disarm an adversarial. I mean, I think about a little example. I don't know, back a few years ago when they started adding on, if you had a group of just a few more than a few, they would add on a gratuity, you know. It was usually 18%. And I remember when a table waiter came and they said, I kind of want to apologize, but this is what they do here now, and that's added on. I just wanted you to know that's added on. And I, and I just said, well, I'm so sorry, you know, because I, I never tip that little. <laughs> always give more. I just always do. And, and so I did. I, I wasn't, you know, going to be silly about it. I, I put on more. But sometimes giving more is just the very best thing in that situation. But in other situations where, where we help the person get what they're looking for. I had a friend who did uh, mediations at very, very high levels on government contracts. He was so good at it. Amazing guy. I knew him, you know, 25 years ago. And he said, this, this is what I do, Jeff. He said, I go to one party and I say, give me something. Give me something, a little bit, and I'm going to take it back. And then he goes to the other side and he says, I've got something for you. Can you give me something? And there's this movement that starts to happen. And that's what Jesus is talking about, a movement that happens, an atmosphere that has changed. Now, is Jesus making a new rule? No, I don't think so. This is not about rules. How do we know what to do? Consider the eternal perspective. You know, a great prayer is to say, God, show me what's really going on here. God, show me, give me a bigger view Give me a view of this this man or this woman or this person's heart and what you desire for them and help me to catch a a glimpse of the kingdom in this place. And Holy Spirit, tell me what to do. And that's that's the key thing. The third is when you are conscripted. That's a even a hard word to say. I I'm almost positive none of us have ever been conscripted. 
And I'll tell you why. It's something that was done by uh, an occupying army. Anyone who forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. It was a well-known practice in the time of Jesus. Under the Roman occupation, a soldier could conscript or commandeer any person. If they were just moving some things, they could say, you, over here, I want you to carry this. And you were obligated to carry for one Roman mile. You had to. It was against the law not to. It could be very, very dangerous if you did not. That's what conscription was. And everybody kind of resented it, but it's just the life that you live. So we don't, praise God, we don't live under occupation. We need to protect our nation, amen? Yeah, we just need to protect freedom very, very much. But under Roman occupation, this was the practice. And it wasn't the worst of it. Soldiers could take over your home, your food, your livestock. I'm going to be in your home tonight. You need to find someplace else. I've got uh, a group and we're going to be in there. And uh, we'll be there, and we, we're going to take some of your animals. Now, here's the worst of it. They could also say, and leave your daughter. They could. And you know, you know, that wasn't a nice thing. And leave your daughter. We've taken an eye for your daughter. And this happened in the time of Jesus. But he says, if someone asked you to walk a mile, what would happen? No one was happy about it. No one was happy about being conscripted to walk a mile. What would happen if the kingdom believer continued another mile? Compelled to go a distance and then they went further. Well, we could apply that. I mean, what would happen if, if we were called to do something and we did more? You know, I thought about it. You know, the, your boss comes in and says, I know you wanted to leave it for. I know you're, you're, you can leave it for. You can leave it for. I, if you could stay to five, uh, I think I could get this done. Could you stay to five? And you say, you know, I could stay till six. I want to stay until the job gets done. That's a game changer, isn't it? It's not a game. It's a, it, it changes the atmosphere of everything. And so when, when that takes place, it can change the heart of the boss or the commander or whoever else. You may not know this, but it was Roman law that obligated Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross of Jesus to Golgotha. Uh, Simon of Cyrene, his name means he's, he was an African. He was from Africa. He was a person of color. Um, and well, what came of that? He didn't volunteer. I mean, there's no indication that he volunteered. He was, he was told, you, carry this cross. Now, something powerful seems to have happened. I don't know if you can imagine what it would be like to have the beam of the cross of Christ over your shoulders and, and the blood of Christ soaking into your tunic or your, your covering or your cloak and to be seeing all this this far away. The journey of Jesus to the cross. Oh my goodness. It seems to have made a big difference because later everybody knew his name. He must have become a part of the Christian community. Everybody knew his name and, and, and he's recorded in three of the Gospels and the names of his children, Alexander and Rufus, are mentioned in Mark chapter 15. And later on in the Bible, Rufus is called chosen in the Lord by the apostle Paul whose mother has been a mother to me. So the wife of Simon of Cyrene became like a mother to the Apostle Paul. Is that amazing? So sometimes the worst day of your life becomes the most transforming day of your life, the most amazing day of your life. We never know the eternal impact of a moment. Then Jesus talks about when someone begs from you. He says, give to the one who begs from you. Now, that's real close to home, isn't it? That's just blocks away from us right now. We, we see it everywhere. And it's the conundrum. We don't know quite what to do. We know there are abuses. I, I, don't, I don't want to give money that's going to be abused in some way or it's not going to be spent in the right way or it's not, not for something good. And so it becomes very, very difficult for us and we, we kind of figure out our ways to manage and sometimes we have a rule well I always give I, I keep some dollar bills and I shove dollar bills out the, the lower my window just a little bit and put out a dollar bill other people say I never give any I'm not going to give to that because I know it gets wasted I'm not going to put food out in the window because I know they throw it away the point is not to have rules 
That's not what it's about. The point is to listen to what God wants us to do. We know there are those abuses, but how do we keep a heart of compassion? I remember one of the first times this happened to me. I, we were in first married year. We were in Gainesville, and we were out somewhere, and we came out of a restaurant or something, and here was a man, and he approached me and said, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And I was a youth director at the local church there, and he came up, and he said, I just need a little bit of money. He said, I, I have a prescription here. He showed me the prescription. It's for my daughter. I need just $5. I have the rest of it. I just need $5 to get this prescription. I said, sure. And I, I got him a $5 bill, gave him the $5 bill. There's a little check in my spirit as I walked away. And I, I drove around the block, and I literally looked in the open door into the bar where he had his beer in front of him that I had just bought. And I sort of tortured myself. And I talked to a pastor about it, and he said, you know what, you just do the best right thing that you know to do and let go of it. Sometimes you'll make a mistake, and many times you won't. But we need to keep a heart of compassion. How do we know the right thing to do? You know, I know people that always help. I know those that never help. We need to not have rules. I'm going to listen to Holy Spirit. And I'm going to obey. I'm going to do what he tells me, what he shows me to do. Jesus wasn't creating new rules and a new absolute. And then to ask, what is the eternal perspective here? What is most important? The fifth is when someone would borrow from you. Uh, verse 42, do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, this is a little more complicated than we might think. Israelites were not permitted to charge interest uh, when they loan money to an impoverished brother. If I, if I loan someone who's impoverished, I loan them some money, I'm not allowed to charge interest on that amazing thing. You could charge interest on loans made to foreigners, but listen to this, loans, all loans were canceled every seventh year. It was a jubilee year. So, I imagine it was really hard to get a loan in the sixth year, don't you know? <laughs> I'd like to borrow some money. Oh, no. Come back to me in the eighth year. Come back in another year. But Jesus says you should borrow, or you should loan when someone wants to borrow. He brings an eternal perspective to the situation. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 6. He says, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward, your, your, your interest payout, will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You know, Proverbs teaches us that borrowing makes a slave to the lender. Um, I think it was Larry Burkett years ago, he taught... Don't loan any money that you cannot afford to give. And so I'll just tell you, I don't loan anybody money. I don't. And it's not because I, what, what I do is somebody asks me, they say, can I borrow some money? I say, no, I'll give you money, but I, I'm not going to loan it to you. Oh, no, no, Pastor Jeff, I, I, I'm going to bring this back. Well, you will, but give it to someone else. Oh, no, oh, no, Pastor Jeff, I, I promise you I'm going to bring this back. Well, no, it's... Yours. So, so, you know, pass it, pay it forward, do something else. You can give it to the church if you want. And here's the reason why. I've learned this. Every person that I loan money to that never paid it back, I know who they are. I, see, I can see them in my mind right now. I, I can't just erase that. And it, it creates a discord, a, a broken bond with that person. How sad is that? I know people that have avoided me for 20 years. If I were to see them out in the mall, they would go another way because they know that I loaned them money that they never paid. And so I don't loan anybody money. And that's really what Jesus is saying here. He says, lend expecting nothing in return. Give it to them. Don't expect it back. Probably aren't going to get it back. So the big question of, of this passage is, should we be people of limited retaliation? That was, the, that was what they did in the day. That was the rabbinical teaching. And Jesus takes that, that idea. Well, yeah, you can retaliate, but it has to be limited, not beyond what the in, in 
wound was or the inflicted wound was. Jesus flips this debate on its head. Not only should we not retaliate, but we should seek to give a grace response whenever possible. Doesn't mean we shouldn't defend doesn't mean we shouldn't defend others and defend ourselves in certain situations. But the kingdom looks different from the movies we watch, the TV we watch, and a lot of what the world says. So how do we do this? Let me just give you a couple things. Choose not to have rules. Rules make us hard-hearted. They do. About, About how I always respond this way. Choose to seek the eternal perspective. I'm going to try to see with bigger eyes. Choose to not act in retaliation. And finally, choose to seek the voice and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and then obey him. If you seek his guidance, then you have to obey him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for kingdom culture. I thank you so much for the word of Jesus to bring us a truth that is so much bigger than what we see in our world. And God, we pray that you would, um, you would work these truths into us in the right way so, so that we might be kingdom people who, by a different choice, a different response, change the atmosphere that is around us. In Jesus' name, amen.